It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Well, hey there to our Elevate Online family. Great to have you with us again. And uh, as Tom already gave you a shout out at the top of our online experience, if you are joining us for the first time, you're very welcome. We have been expecting you and uh, we know that God has got something for you today and as we continue the journey together. Uh, This is actually the fourth week of a series that we've called What Are You Expecting? And really it's about resetting or recalibrating our expectations around things that God has said about Himself. God has declared who He is. And and as we get to, to be reminded or get to know who God is, we can then be confident and place our expectations about what God does because what God does comes out of who God is. I want to talk about memory. Have you ever walked into a room, you know, a room in your house and you walked in, you opened the door, you walked in and then you just stand there because you've forgotten what it is you walked in there for? Uh, Or have you done a similar thing with your pantry or your fridge? You know, you've gone there, you've opened it up and you're looking and you think to yourself, I don't remember what I came to get. Um, Or this is probably one of the bigger ones, passwords. How many of you remember your passwords? And yes, I know some of you remember your password because you use the same password uh, for everything. Uh, Did somebody say cyber security? Anyway, that's up to you. I'm not going to judge. But here's the thing. God declared something about himself and he, he declared it to, at a time in history, where his chosen people was the nation of Israel. And they would have learned these things about God over generations. And yet there came a point in their history where God had to actually insert himself back into their narrative and remind them of who he is. Because they'd actually uh, started to forget. They'd started to actually uh, lose hope, lose their trust in him, lose their faith in him, lower their expectations of God. And and he came back and swooped back in and said, hey, hey team, hey nation, uh, I I need to remind you of the key things of who I am so that you can recalibrate and ratchet back up your expectations. And the thing that God declared has actually been uh, the most Requoted uh, passage in the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. So I'm going to drop us into, and this whole series is baked around the thing that God said. And since He first said it, it's been rewritten and requoted again and again and again, all the way through the old part of the Bible, the Old Testament. And here it is The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh. The Lord, he's announcing himself. Hello, Moses, I'm here. And let me tell you, or let me remind you, and I want you to go and tell the people, this is who I am. I'm the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love 
and faithfulness. And by the way, if you missed any of the three messages that we've already done, uh, go back and, and watch them. And cause, because these, the series that we teach, they intentionally are designed to build together. And uh, you'll get the most out of it if you actually walk through and journey through all of the episodes. Now, this is God telling his people, hey, you've forgotten who I am. You, you're having some memory issues. And I'm telling you this so that you can remember who the one true God is. Now, any cat people out there, uh, you may be reluctant to announce yourself because you think I'm going to judge you. And I'm not going to judge you, but I am going to judge cats. See, the thing about cats is uh, we probably as humans uh, crave their attention, uh, crave their affection, but cats are just too cool for that. I mean, the more you kind of crave it, the more they like, hey, I ain't got time for that. Um, dogs, on the other hand, are a whole different category. Uh, I've known of dogs who have literally wet themselves as their owner has come home from the end of a working day. Around this time last year, a story went viral about a, an elderly man in Turkey and his dog. And this elderly man had, had, had fallen ill uh, and he was taken uh, from his home to hospital in an ambulance. And, and his dog broke out of the house and, and followed and chased the ambulance to the hospital where he, the dog, stood, sat patiently outside of the hospital and the daughter of the old man found out about this, came to the hospital, got the dog, took the dog home. The next day, the dog broke out again, ran back to the hospital. The daughter came and retrieved the dog again, took him home. The dog broke out again. And ultimately, the dog waited outside of the hospital. Here's a picture of said dog. The dog, amazing. The dog waited outside of that hospital for six days straight until eventually his owner was released or discharged and they were reunited. And, and this, to me, this story, one of the reasons I love this story is this, this devotion of this dog towards his owner. It's kind of like a, a little bit of an insight, albeit an imperfect one, of God and his unfailing love. It's the fourth thing he declared. He declared he's a God of compassion, a God of mercy. He's patient. And this week I want to talk about the reality that we can expect God's unfailing love. And I want to walk us through a real life example of God's unfailing love. And not just his unfailing love once, but his unfailing love on repeat. And I want to do that by just really briefly walking through the high points or some of the high points of the life of a guy named Joseph. Now, if uh, the story of Joseph is unfamiliar to you, then I'm glad you're here. You know, this is going to be like, what? Really? Yeah. And, and, and it's no, I mean, Joseph's life is just a wild and crazy roller coaster ride. And no surprise, therefore, that it's had uh, an animated movie made after him, uh, a hit Broadway musical, a television series, and several. Uh, Hollywood films uh, about the life of this incredible and story of this in, of, the, of Joseph. Um, but I just want to say this: if this story is familiar to you, then 
open up your hearts because one of the things, and, and Steve kind of alluded to it last week, albeit in a different context, that familiarity can actually limit our expectations. And if you think you know the story, then maybe you won't get something fresh out of it. And yet I'm always confident that God, because his word is alive, that he wants to give and bring you something fresh today. So open hearts and let's buckle up and go on this ride together. Now, here's, here's, here's the beginning, the origin story. Uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob. And Joseph had 11 brothers, so pretty big family. One of the issues, however, was Joseph was his dad, Jacob's, favorite. And his other 11 brothers, they were a little jealous of Joseph, understandably. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph one night had a dream. And he had a dream that one day his brothers most of whom were older than him, would actually bow down to him. And it's not the, the dream that was problematic. It's the fact that Joseph thought it was a good idea to share the dream with his brothers, which he did. He told them, hey, fellas, uh, one day um, you're all going to bow down to me. And if, as if their jealousy wasn't already at a high point because he was Jacob's favorite, now it reached boiling point uh, where they decided that their best next move was to get rid of him. Uh, and they decided, they came together, the brothers, and decided they were going to get Joseph and throw him into a well and leave him there to die, which they did. Uh, but no sooner had they thrown him into the well, which was dry, fortunately, for Joseph, than a trader's caravan, a, a group of traders on their way to Egypt happened to be passing by, and the brothers thought, you know what? We can make some money out of this. I mean, throwing Joseph down a well, didn't, we didn't make any profit out of this. So they got Joseph out of the well and they sold him to these traders who were on their way to Egypt. And, the, and, and, and then when the traders arrived in Egypt with Joseph, they unsold him as a slave to uh, the, the captain of the palace guard, of Pharaoh's palace, the captain of the palace guard, a guy named Potiphar. Now, Please do not name your next son Potiphar. Uh, but they sold him to the captain of the palace guard. And Joseph went to work for him. And within a very short period of time, uh, Potiphar noted that there was something special about Joseph, that his, his work, his attitude, his, his de dedication was exemplary. And, and went to then then made Joseph his own personal assistant and effectively um, gave uh, Joseph the authority over everything that he and his household owned. In fact, it's recorded in history that from that moment forward, the only thing Potiphar worried about was what's, what's, what's to eat, what's the next meal, what's on the menu. Um, so here we are, Joseph still effectively a slave, but now in charge of the, of the assets and the running of the, the captain of the palace guard. Uh, and then something weird happened. Uh, Joseph was described as a pretty good-looking rooster, um, and Potiphar's wife, while Potiphar was away, tried to seduce Joseph. And uh, Joseph, because of his incredible character, he refused her advances which she didn't like too much. She didn't appreciate being rejected. 
And so she ran out screaming that Joseph had attempted to rape her, which is not true. Uh, and Potiphar discovered this accusation. And, you know, I mean, he had no choice but to believe his wife. And so he threw Joseph in prison for something Joseph didn't actually do. Now, if you've got your Bible app, pop it open on your second device. And uh, I want to drop us into um, the first book of the Old Testament. It, it, it called Genesis, the origin story. Um, in chapter 39, and I'm going to take it from the New Living Translation. And understand that this is a very moment in history. This is a very moment in Joseph's life, where he's reached a new low. I mean, first of all, he'd, he'd been, tried to be killed by his brothers. Then they sold him into slavery. Now, uh, once again, this roller coaster experience of Joseph's life hits a new low point where he finds himself in prison for something he didn't do. And God does who God is. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. The Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Now, I went to Bible college, so you don't have to. Uh, and, and I want to highlight this word faithful love or this expression faithful love is the Hebrew word hesed, okay? And the reason this matters is because hesed in that passage has been translated as faithful love. And yet the reality is that, that just, just that one definition, faithful love, doesn't, doesn't do justice, doesn't fully uh, capture what it was that God was showing and doing towards Joseph. So here's a, a better, a more comprehensive definition of his said the consistent ever faithful relentless constantly pursuing lavish extravagant unrestrained furious love of our father god and this word has said is spoken about god around 250 times in the old testament and it's not actually an emotion it actually involves Action. It's actually something that God doesn't just feel towards people in need. It's something that he actually demonstrates towards people in need. So right now, we see God saying that he was, he was giving his hesed to Joseph right at the time that Joseph was in an incredible point in his life, in, in an hour of need. And it's what God does because it's who God is. He's the God of hesed. He's the God of of unfailing love. When you're at your low point, when you are on your own, when you've hit rock bottom, when something or someone does something to you, especially something that you don't deserve, we call it injustice. And yes, absolutely, it was in Joseph's case. But the thing that we can easily kind of default to or, 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 our, our, or conclude is that God's lost our number. <laughs> So here's Joseph in a foreign land, uh, work, had been working for a guy that you know, he was effectively a slave for, and now he's in prison. 
And it would be easy for Joseph to feel abandoned, but God jumps in. God says, I'm, I'm showing Joseph my hesed. I'm demonstrating my unfailing love. And the thing that we need to underline when we hit rock bottom, when we feel injustice, when things aren't going the way we expected them to go, is that we need to remember that God remembers us. He doesn't lose our number. He, 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 he will come rushing, relentlessly, furiously pursuing us with his, his said, with his unfailing love. Now, he started to find favor, incredible favor, with the warden. So much so that the warden did something very similar to what Potiphar had done. He put Joseph in charge of running the prison. Now, we have an expression here in Australia, don't let the inmates run the asylum. And yet, <laughs> the warden thought it was a good idea to put one of the prisoners, Joseph, in charge of running the prison while he was still a prisoner. It doesn't make any sense, apart from the favor of God. And while Joseph was in this position, he was in prison, but now he's running the prison, uh, two new inmates were uh, brought into the, the prison, both of whom had worked for the pharaoh inside the royal court. One was the chief wine taster for the pharaoh and the other was the chief baker for the pharaoh. And on a particular night, both of them had a dream. Each respectively had a dream. And the next morning, they shared this with Joseph. They shared the fact that they'd had a dream. And Joseph offered to try and interpret these dreams that they had because they hadn't made sense to the wine taster and the baker. And so the chief wine taster, he started first. He explained his dream to Joseph. And Joseph said, yeah, I know, actually know what that means. It mean, what it means is that in three days' time, you're going to be released from prison and actually resume your role as the chief wine taster in the royal court. And I can imagine the chief, former chief baker's standing, he's, he's next in line, thinking, whoa, this is great. And so he starts to share his dream with Joseph. And Joseph says, uh, yeah, I, I understand that one too. Uh, that dream means that in three days, you're going to be executed. Which is exactly what happened. In three days' time, the chief wine taster was released from prison and the chief baker was hung. And then Joseph said one thing to the chief wine taster as he was being released from prison. He said to him, and please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. And this word remember is the same word has said. Please show me some unfailing love. Show me some relentless love. Show me some furious love. Demonstrate to me that you're grateful for what I've done for you. Remember me and do me a solid, do me a favor. Well, the wine taster forgot. Completely, he got his job back. He's back in the royal court. He's the chief wine taster again. Things were going so well for him that he completely forgot about Joseph. And two years went by. So previously, Joseph might have been feeling 
abandoned by God, but God reminded him that he was showing his said, his unfailing love towards Joseph. And then Joseph asked the same of the chief wine taster, can you show me some unfailing love? And the chief wine taster didn't. Two years went by and Pharaoh had a dream. Had a dream and the next day he called in his advisors and none of them could interpret this dream. And it was in that moment that something phenomenal happened. The king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today, I've been reminded of my failure. I was asked to show unfailing love, but instead I showed failing love. He told Pharaoh about Joseph, about how two years earlier he'd shared a dream that he'd had with Joseph. And Joseph had interpreted it and interpreted it accurately. And so Pharaoh sent for Joseph and asked him, can you interpret my dream? And here's one of, uh, here's one of Joseph's superpowers. He said, look, uh, Pharaoh, it's beyond my power to do this. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And so Pharaoh explained the dream that he'd had to Joseph and Joseph interpreted it to Pharaoh and, and, and said, what your dream means is that for the next seven years, Egypt is going to experience incredible abundance. And then in the following seven years, Egypt's going to experience incredible scarcity across the lands and it's going to lead to a severe famine. And so God's warning you because what he wants you to do is don't consume everything in the first seven years. Be wise and store up the harvest. Store up intentionally so that you'll have reserves to get you through the second seven years. And it happened again. Pharaoh recognized that Joseph was wise, that he was exemplary, and he put Joseph, he, he essentially leapfrogged Joseph in promoting him from a prisoner, albeit in charge of the prison, but still as a prisoner, he actually put him in charge of all of Egypt. Uh, effectively, the prime minister, second only to the king, Pharaoh, appointed, uh, had leapfrogged him over the previous uh, you know, top politicians of, of the nation. And Joseph started to administer and lead the nation in exactly that way. The first seven years made sure that he stored up an abundance. Well, exactly as the dream had uh, predicted, exactly as Joseph had interpreted, the second seven years rolls around and famine hit the nation, hit the, all of the lands, and people started showing up. People started to hear that the king had stored up an abundance and started to go to the Pharaoh or started to go to where the, the, that Joseph had stored up uh, the abundance and ask for, for a handout or buy, try to buy some grain for the, to feed their family. And Joseph was in charge of the distribution. Well, guess who showed up? Yep, his brothers. Joseph's brothers, they'd experienced famine just like everyone else. And so they'd come to the royal court to ask for some grain, to buy some grain. Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize Joseph. It had been 20 years since his brothers had sold him into slavery. 
And just as Joseph's dream 20 years ago, the very dream that was the final straw for his brothers, that they would one day bow down to him, just as that dream had predicted in this moment, the brothers not recognizing who Joseph was, but knowing that he was in charge of the distribution of the grain, that he was the prime minister of Egypt, his brothers in that moment all bowed down to him. And they would go on to bow down to him several more times throughout their life. And, and look, I don't have time to go into the, the rest of the story. I'm going to kind of fast forward to something closer to the end of their story. But I would strongly encourage you to sit there uh, with your Bible or your Bible app and read it for yourself. It's incredible. It's like, what? Yeah. Um, but I want to fast forward to a point in time where the father, Jacob, eventually passed away. And the brothers, uh, they, they thought the reason that they were still alive, that the reason that Joseph hadn't come chasing after them to exact his revenge on them was because he didn't want to upset their father. And, and now they're freaking out because their father, Jacob, had passed away. And, and, and effectively, they, they, they concluded that their safety net had been removed, their kind of protective covering had been removed, that Joseph now, if any time, he was going to come for them. And so they pleaded with Joseph. You know, they now knew who he was and they pleaded with him, you know, please don't kill us. And Joseph replied, and the the reply that Joseph gave to them is is something that you will hear repeated again and again and again throughout the, the Bible, throughout history. You'll hear it come up in, in songs. You'll hear it come up uh, with people preaching. You'll hear it come up with people telling the story of God's unfailing love in their own lives. And this is what Joseph said to his brothers who were pleading for them not to be killed. He said, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? And here's the, here's, here's the line. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He put me in this position so I could save the lives of many people. Chances are some of you, if I say you intended to harm me, you can think of people and circumstances and situations where somebody or some buddies or something happened that was intended to harm you. You know, maybe in your workplace, you were passed over for a promotion that you so obviously were next in line for. Or or maybe you had a a colleague or a boss who had it in for you. and, And you've said, man... You intended to harm me, and yet you experienced God's hesed. You experienced God's unfailing love because just as it was for Joseph towards his brothers, you intended to harm me was not the end of the sentence. And because it wasn't the end of the sentence, it wasn't the end of the story. You know, some of you have potentially come through a messy divorce, and you look back on your previous spouse, your former spouse, and you think to yourself, you intended to harm me, and yet you've experienced God's hesed. You've experienced God's unfailing love because it wasn't the end of the sentence and it wasn't the end of your story. You intended to harm me, but God intended it 
all for good. That doesn't mean that everything was good. That doesn't mean that everything always is good. The key here is understanding that word intended. That word intended literally is translated weave, like, like basket making. You intended, you tried to weave the circumstances to cause me harm, but God took those exact same circumstances and he wove them. He made them into something different, something new, something better. And that's what God does. That's, that's, that's what God does because that's who God is. God does unfailing love. God shows unfailing love. God demonstrates God's unfailing love. God acts towards us with his unfailing love because that's who he is. And for you, if any time in your history, any time, anything in your present and anything in your future, you recognize that something or someone is coming against you to harm you, you can expect God's unfailing love. You can expect that what was intended to harm you, God will intend, God will weave that into something good. Next week, we're going to land this series with the fifth thing that God declared. So I want to encourage you to join us for that. Bring someone with you. Have them join them in your lounge room, on your couch, or some sort of watch party, any way you can figure it out. You know, th these are the things that God wanted more and more people to know. And chances are you know somebody who can benefit from this series. So see you next week. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.